Aside from the beginning, Shri Bhagavan Uvacha, Shri Bhagavan Uvacha, Param Bhuyaf Pravakshyami, Param Bhuyaf Pravakshyami, Nyananam Nyanamuttamam, Nyananam Nyanamuttamam, Yadnyatva Munayasarve. ಯಜ್ಞಾತ್ವಾಮುನಯಸ್ಸರ್ವೆಪರಾಂಸಿಧಿಮಿಗತಾಂಸಿಧಿಮಿಗತಾ ಪ್ರಲಯೇನವ್ಯಥಂತಿಭೂತಾಂಭೂತಾರತ ಸಂಭವಂತ್ರಹ್ಮಹದ್ಯೋನಿಜಪ್ರದಿ ಪ್ರಕೃತಿಸಂಭವಿಬ್ನಂತ ಮಹಾಬಾಹೋಹೇಹಿನಮ್ಯಜ ತಮಿ ಗುಣ ಹೇಜುನ ಮಹಾಬಾಹೋ ಉಮೈಚ್ಯಾನ್ ಗುಣ ಗುಣಸ್ call them constituents sattvam rajah tamah sattva rajas and tamas are the three constituents prakruti sambhavaha born of prakruti or other making up the prakruti making up the nature sattva rajas and tamas are those which make up the nature not born of nature make up the nature so nature means sattva rajas tamas <coughs> it is called prakruti we also call it maya the primordial cause that's called prakruti prakriti means the primordial cause the material cause so the primordial cause or material cause is this sadhi they call it prakriti or maya which consists of sattvam rajas and tamas nibadhanti mahabaho we said yesterday prakriti means nature our own nature also is constituted of this three sattva rajas and tamas we said yesterday 
how our own prakriti or personality consists of a gross body as well as a subtle body. Of this subtle body, this, those elements or those instruments which are the means of knowledge, like the organs of perception as well as mind, these are constituted of sattva. Those other faculties which are responsible for action, namely organs of action as well as those pranas, the vital forces, they are constituted made of rajas. And the gross body is made up of tamas. Thus our own personality, which we call prakriti, also is constituted of sattva, rajas and tamas. And similarly also, the whole universe is constituted of sattva, rajas and tamas. So these three make up the whole creation. <coughs> that is fine. Nibad nanti mahabaho dehe dehi namavyayam Unfortunately what happens is, this dehi, Lord Krishna is the word dehi, dehi means embodied one. So dehi is a word derived from the word deha, deha means body. And Dehi means one who possesses the body. Deha asya astiti Dehi. So one who possesses the body is called Dehi. So by that very word Dehi is implied that he is different from Deha. Like Gruhi. Gruhi means what? One who possesses the Gruha or house is called Gruhi. So one who possesses the house is different from the house. Similarly also by the very use of the word Dehi, Lord Krishna means to say that the Atma or the Self is Dehi, the one that is embodied, who is different from the body. Independent of the body and free of the limitations of the body. However, Dehi Nibadhanti, this Prakriti, this personality consisting made up of these three gunas, Nibadhanti, they bind mind this Dehi, the Self, with the body, with the personality. So, yeah, that also we discussed yesterday. And we have been saying how there are two elements within our own Self, the person and the personality, the spirit and the matter, the Self and the non-Self. And in fact, they are independent entities. The Self or the consciousness is independent of the personality, like the electricity that is independent of the, the filament and the bulb. How filament in a bulb is a medium of manifestation, a vehicle of manifestation of electricity. And so also, this personality, made up of sattva, rajas and tamas, is comparable to a vehicle for the manifestation of consciousness, or of the self, or the person. Purusha. And if this is how it is known, that is fine. In Swamiji's language you can say, this personality is a value addition to the person. The person is consciousness and now he has a value addition that he has this personality to manifest himself and to perform this vyavahara. Consciousness by itself could not walk and talk and do all these transactions but on account of manifesting through this personality, now he is able to walk and talk, you can call it value addition. That means it is not a problem, it is something that is an embellishment. It is like an actor assuming certain, wearing a certain costume and playing certain roles. As long as the actor knows his identity, so long the role is a fun, is something that he can enjoy. But if for some reason the actor forgets identity and he identifies himself the costume and takes himself the role, and suppose he is playing the role of a beggar and he takes himself to a beggar, that's all, he need not really be a beggar. 
All that is necessary is for some idea to get into the head that I am a beggar. He looks at himself in the mirror and looks, finds a beggar in the mirror and he says, yeah, I am a beggar. However that happens, maybe before going, before going to the stage, he had a little too much because many actors also, in order to, I guess, uh, get inspiration and whatever, that they take something. Suppose he took a bit too much of it. And he forgets himself and he looks at the mirror now and hey, he finds a beggar. I'm a beggar. Suppose this happens. Not that he's a beggar. He just has this notion that I'm a beggar. But the effect is the same. As far as he's concerned, he's as good as a beggar. We know that he's not a beggar. That's all right. But as far as he's concerned, he's as good as a beggar. So important thing is, he need not be a beggar to suffer the limitations or the pains of a beggar. All that is necessary is for him to have the notion that I am a beggar. There need not be a real snake for me to have the fear. All that is necessary is the notion that there is snake, that's all. That is very important. So that we have this sadness or pain etc. in our life. And of course we have various reasons why we have, we have this pain, why I am sad. Everybody has lots of reasons. As Swamiji once was once saying, everybody has reasons as to why he sad. So Swamiji, I asked this person, hey, why are you sad? Oh Swamiji, I'm away from, my, from, from India for so long and since last three months I have not received a letter from my parents, I'm sad. I said the fellow, hey, why, are you, why do you look sad? Oh Swamiji, I received a letter today. Why are you sad? Swamiji, I can't get married. Why are you sad? Because I am married. Why are you sad? Because I don't have a child. Why are you sad? Because I have a child. The idea is that sadness, we always attribute the reason to something or someone. Because we are taken for granted that that is the real cause for sadness. And therefore the whole effort in our life is just to become free from this sadness. Sadness which arises from a sense of smallness, sense of limitation, sense of helplessness, whatever it calls, whatever is the cause, but then all my efforts all the time are to become free from sadness because I've taken for granted that sadness, there's a real cause for sadness, that I'm really a sad person. Vedanta says that just because you feel sad does not mean that there has to be reason for sadness. It could just be a notion in your mind which causes sadness. Just as just because I fear there is no reason that there should be a real snake, all that is necessary is a notion. And similarly, I am sad because I feel, the sen- I feel limited. I feel helpless. So either the limitation that I feel about myself is real, or it can be notional. The whole world takes the, that sense of limitation as real including rest of the theologies also, and then they want to do something to make him free from the sense of smallness. Whereas Vedanta says, the sense of smallness that I feel about myself is not real, it is a notion. And therefore the bondage is not a real bondage, bondage also is a notion. But as long as I do not know the notion as notion, it is real for me. Everybody knows the story of the cow, how the cow is tied, you know, this, this, this guru has a disciple serving him and apparently there are four cows and one of the duties of the disciple was uh, to take the cows in the morning for grazing and then bring them back in the afternoon. 
He would bring them back and then tie them with the ropes. This was a daily routine. In the morning, he would untie the cows, take them for grazing, bring them back, tie them back again. One, one afternoon when he returned from his, after this grazing, you know, and cows, you know, took the cows for grazing and when he returned with the cows, he found that one of the ropes was missing. There were only three ropes, the fourth rope was not there. So he tied the three cows, he did not know what to do with the fourth cow, how to tie this cow. So whenever there is any difficulty, you go to the guru and so he went to the teacher. He said, it seems one rope is law missing and what should I do? So the teacher says, just tie the cow. So how can I tie the cow? I said, there is no rope. Don't worry, take the cow to its usual place and tie the cow as you do every day. Do all the motions of tying the cow. This person's disciple didn't understand, he said, all right. Anyway, says the Guru says, I should do that. And the way he took the cow, brought the cow to the usual place and made the motions as though he was tying the cow. And to his utter surprise, the cow remained there. He could not believe that. So every half an hour would go and check where the cow is. He, would, he thought the cow would walk away. He could not sleep for the whole night. He would just wake up and... and to his utter surprise, the cow remained there calmly as, as, as it used to do every day. Came next morning. Now he untied the other three cows to take them out for grazing. This cow was not tired, so took the, the tail and, and twisted, so the cow started moving. The cow would not move. Again he went to the teacher. So what have you done? Some kind of mantra you chanted? The cow does not move. He thought the teacher has some kind of a power. That's why the cow is not able to move. The teacher asked him, but did you untie the cow? But sir, I have not tied the cow in the first place. But did you untie the cow? Untie the cow as you tied it yesterday. <laughs> so goes there and does the motions of untying the cow. And again to that surprise, the cow starts moving. So this is the bondage of the cow. Cow is tied with imaginary ropes, but all that is Necessary is for the cow to think that it is tied. That's all. It need not really be tied. Similarly also for the Atma or the Self or myself, I need not really be bound, need not really be tied, need not really be limited, need not really be confined to these notions of man, woman, happy, unhappy, etc. All that is necessary is for me to have that notion that I am limited. That's all. So there is something that causes notion. What causes? This body. Because the body is there, I just take the body to be myself. Had it not been there, that would not have happened. So this presence of the body causes the occasion for having this kind of an error, where I take the body to be myself. See, it is the nature of the intellect. Our buddhi is called Adhyavasayatmika buddhi. It is the nature of the intellect always to make decisions, to make judgments. And if it does not know what is truth, it will take something false and think it is truth. And similarly also, that I do not know what the true nature of myself is. And therefore, this upadhi, this personality, this prakriti, consisting of the body, sense organs, mind, is taken to be myself. This is what is happening. That is the nature of bondage. Nivadnanti mahabaho dehe dehinamavyam. Although Lord Krishna says, these three gunas bind the self. They cannot bind the self. They as though bind the self. They somehow manage to create the notion of bondage. That's all. So 
So understand the bondage is the notion, as though bondage. But as long as I do not know the notion as notion, it is reality for me. And therefore, on account of ignorance, this bondage, bondage meaning t- equating myself to three gunas, equating myself to personality, that's called identification. See, this phenomenon of identification we all know. In identification, I lose myself and I become something else. This happens to us very often, very commonly. While watching a movie, for example, I get so engrossed in watching the movie. That I forget that I'm a spectator. I become, a, I become one of the players in the movie. One of the, you know, one of the characters in the movie. And if that follows my favorite actor, then I, or whatever, you know, then I become so one with that person. I remember as children, you know, when they were fighting, this hero fights with the villain, then you fight here. This is what, you know, this is you do here. Even one, you know. I, I remember after all those kind of, you know, matinee shows, which are, uh, what kind of movies are called, but you know, uh, all kind of fighting, that's all they had, you know, the stunt movies or whatever it is. After coming out, the youngsters will fight with each other, you know, because they were so much, uh, you know, they become so identified with them. And therefore, if my favorite hero there is suffering, is weeping, then here I'm also weeping. Even though I'm sitting in an air-conditioned auditorium with push-back chair, with cashewners in one hand and coke in the other hand, with this I'm watching the movie. All comfortable. I don't talk of myself. Somebody, let's say, is watching the movie. His wife is sitting beside him, you know. And this is what is going on. And then this village is, tears are streaming through his eyes. And somebody sitting beside them asks, hey, why are you crying? Says, My wife has left me. Oh. This fellow's wife has left him. <laughs> but this fellow is crying and his wife is sitting beside him. <laughs> and see, he's crying as though his wife has left him. So this is the phenomenon of identification as to how one totally forgets oneself and becomes something that one is not. Similarly also there is an identification. I forget who I am, the self forgets who he is and becomes as good. Then I become as good as what I am identified with. When there is an identification, I become as good as what I am identified with. So when there is a cricket match with India and Pakistan, the World Cup, you know, everybody is watching in India. In Bangalore, this team match is going on, you know, and everybody is excited. And when an Indian player hits one, you know, boundary, this fellow here, get excited. And when he's bowled out, they get depressed. There's nothing, he's just sitting here, he's nothing to do with that and still, identification. So this identification is something, a very common phenomenon. Here also, there is something like an identification. <coughs> what happens in identification is, there is forgetting of oneself. It presupposes an ignorance of myself and taking myself to what I am not. Here also, there is an ignorance of what I really am and I take myself to the three gunas, I equate myself to the three gunas. And thus, this and gunas are limited, everything is limited. And thus a sense of limitation is created as though, there is an as though bondage. So this is how Vedanta explains the mechanism of bondage. Mechanism of the feeling of smallness, feeling of limitation. 
and understand that every kind of sadness or sorrow or pain arises only from a sense of smallness or limitation, from nothing else. No, Swamiji, he said, because his wife died. That's all right. But that makes him somehow a sense, creates in him a sense of helplessness. I can feel sad or unhappy only when I'm helpless, only when I'm small, when I'm limited. And that is the cause of all the sadness. This Vedanta says, tells us that the only way to become free from sadness is to remove the fundamental cause. I am sad not because I do not have something. I am sad not because I have something. Usually I feel that I am sad because I don't have something. And therefore, I proceed to procure that. Or I may feel that I am sad because I have something and therefore I want to get rid of it. So this is the activities I do of procuring something that I do not have or getting rid of something I have in the hope that I, my sadness will be removed. And this activity goes on from the time beginningless, from one embodiment to the other. This is where Vedanta explains that no, sadness is no real cause. It is nothing more than a notion. It is causes ignorance and therefore what should be removed is ignorance and nothing else. So for that, Lord Krishna, Nibadhanti Mahabaho, Dehe, Dehinamabhyam, the self somehow gets identified with the body. When we use the word body, we mean the gross as well as subtle bodies, and the self somehow gets identified with the gross and the subtle bodies, because of ignorance of its true nature, and that equates himself to the body. And that arises the notion, I am the body, I am a man, I am a woman, I am tall, I am short, all kinds of complexes. As Swami says, my nose is turned up or turned down or turned sideways, whatever. All the complexes are there on account of equating myself to the body. Equating myself to the mind. And mind is always limited. And I feel a sense of limitation. Ignorance. There is an intellect, a lot of ignorance is there. Therefore, I look upon myself as ignorant. I look upon myself as small. I look upon myself as mortal. Because body is subject to death and therefore I take myself to be mortal and suffer all the time from the fear of death. And then struggle to become free from that mortality, struggle to become free from ignorance, struggle to become free from a sense of smallness which I take to be real. And so this is the bondage, as though, understand that, thank God, that even though the cow, even when the cow thought that it was tired, it was not tired. Even when the tenth man thinks that the tenth man is lost, he's not lost. And similarly, even when I think that I am bound or I am limited, I am not bound. This is one saving grace. That even though I think that I am unhappy, I am not unhappy. That unhappiness is merely a, is something that is born out of a notion. <coughs> but anyway, this is how the bondage, now Lord Krishna proceeds to explain so first we are told there are these three gunas, sattva, rajas and tamas. And these three gunas bind the self. Gunas cannot bind the self, self gets bound because of ignorance. World doesn't bind me. You know like these two persons were standing on the bank of the Ganges once upon a time. They're shivering in cold because it's pretty cold there. And they saw one blanket See, when you are standing at the bank of the Ganges, you see all kinds of things just being swept in the current, you know. So this fellow saw, both of them saw, a blanket floating in the water. And he was, he was feeling, you know, cold. And therefore this fellow jumped in water. Even the water also was cold. But anyway, he jumped in water. He swam quickly and caught hold of that blanket. 
The other fellow is on the bank, he's watching. So, after having caught hold of the blanket, this fellow was going along with the blanket. So this chap calls him, he said, wait a minute, come back. He said, don't, you'll be swept away in the current. So, come back with the blanket. Still that fellow did not come. He says, leave the blanket and come away. He says, but blanket does not leave me. It was not a blanket, but it was a Himalayan bear that was going around. <laughs> and this fellow has a blanket. And he is caught. So, it is not that I, you know, therefore I think that I get caught with these three gunas, they don't leave me. Only because of ignorance. And therefore the only way to become free is to become free from ignorance. We think that samsara, you know, we are catching samsara, but samsara catches us soon before we realize. As he says, it's not that this person is uh, in, 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 in Ahmedabad, there is a, on this university, you know, there are big uh, hoardings. One of the hoardings says, this alcoholic doesn't drink the alcohol, this, per, this person does not drink alcohol, alcohol drinks him. In the beginning he drinks alcohol. Soon enough the alcohol starts drinking him because he totally becomes addicted to that, becomes, you know, totally dependent on that. Similarly also, this Atma, the Self, is also caught by the samsara, by the three gunas. But really it's not the three gunas, it's just ignorance because of which these notions are created. So now Lord Krishna gives us a very beautiful analysis of our personality which is made up of the Sattva, Rajas and Tamas. And primarily our mind. Our mind enjoys these three dispositions as we said yesterday, Sattva, Rajas and Tamas. So what are the characteristics of the three Gunas that Lord Krishna says and how they bind us? So bondage also can be described as made in, in three ways, Sattvic bondage, Rajas bondage, Tamas bondage. The three gunas are that Sattva, Rajas and Tamas. If I am bound with the three gunas, as you said, the word guna also means a rope and that is how I am tied through a rope. How does Sattva, what kind of a sense of bondage or what kind of a notion or complex does Sattva create in me? What kind of a notion or bondage the Rajas creates in me? And what kind of notion or bondage the Tamas creates in me? This is what Lord Krishna describes next in the verse, sixth verse we are told. Tatra Sattvam Nirmalatvat Tatra Sattvam Nirmalatvat Prakashakam Anamayam Prakashakam Anamayam Sukhasangena Badnati Sukhasangena Badnati Jnana Sangena Chanagha Jnana Sangena Chanagha Sattvam Tatra Among the three gunas now talking about Sattva Sattvam Nirmalatvat Sattva is pure Prakashakam is an illuminator Anamayam is free from evil or pain or unhappiness So these are the qualities of Sattva Sattva is pure like a crystal, pure. So that means when my mind is sattvic, then the mind is pure, transparent. We often given this uh, analogy of comparing our mind with a pool of water. Imagine there is a pond filled with water. Now, in this water, if there is no impurity at all, and the surface of water also is calm, imagine. Then that water becomes a transparent body. 
and we can very clearly see the bottom because the water is transparent. There is no impurity there, there is no disturbance at all. Similarly also if our mind is free from impurities, what are the impurities? The rajas and tamas are the impurities. If the mind is free from rajas and tamas, then the mind is pure. And what the, tamas, what the rajas creates, as we will see, it creates a disturbance, agitation in the mind. Like the surface of the water being agitated, then also we cannot see the bottom clearly. If the water is impure, then also we cannot see the bottom clearly. So if the water is free from both impurity as well as agitation, then the water is transparent and we can see the bottom clearly. Similarly also, if our mind is free from tamas, which is impurity, and rajas, which is agitation, then the mind is transparent, like that water. And you can very clearly see the bottom. What is the bottom? Bottom is nothing but the self. And so when the mind is sattvic, then the self manifests very clearly. Just as the bottom of that lake manifests itself very clearly, or we can say how that body or water reflects whatever it is in front of it. And similarly also, when my mind is free from rajas and tamas, then the mind is pure, mind is transparent and reveals the nature of the self, which is like at the bottom of the mind, sort of. What's the nature of self? Consciousness. What's the nature of self? Happiness. And therefore, whenever my mind is sattvic, what is the experience? Experience of cheerfulness, happiness. A happiness is uncreated. Normally, happiness also is of three kinds. But the happiness here that we are talking about is happiness for no reason. When my mind is sattvic, when my mind is pure, when my mind is transparent, I just feel happy. For what reason? No reason at all. I don't, it doesn't require me to get something, fulfill a desire, no external cause is required. Just feel happy for no reason because happiness is myself. So sattvic mind is the mind that is pure and is the mind that reveals and manifests the nature of the self. So it's anamayam. Amayam is dukkham. Anamayam, free from dukkham. So that mind is, free from dukkham means that mind is happiness, enjoys happiness or reveals happiness. Prakashakam. Prakasha means light. Prakashakam. It reveals light of the self. It reveals the intelligence of the self. As Lord Krishna will say a little later. When the mind is sattvic, I feel illumined. And so sattvic mind is that which reveals the knowledge also. That is why we are always told that our mind must become pure. That there must be self-purification or purification of mind. And by the purification of mind we mean that the mind becomes free from rajas and tamas. Because then that mind reveals the happiness that is self, that mind reveals the intelligence, so the knowledge, the illumination of the self, because the mind is pure. <coughs> Sattvam nirmalatvat. Understand that this is the nature of the mind. Another important thing to understand is sattva is the nature of the mind. As you see, the rajas and tamas, the impurities are, are actually external, they are foreign elements. Just as purity or transparency is the nature of the water, and the impurity is something that is external or foreign, not part of the water, it's something foreign, something added to the water. Or agitation in the water also is due to something else, not because of water, because of air or something. So water by itself is transparent, pure and calm, and if we find agitation in the water, then we know that agitation also is due to some external cause. 
You find impurity in the water, then also we know that impurity is also external to the water. And that's the reason why we can remove impurity. That's the reason why we can remove that agitation. So one important thing and very comforting to understand is that sattva or purity is the nature of our mind. Not only the self is pure, but even mind also is pure by nature. So those who study Tattva Bodha, you know, there it is explained in the process of creation. We are told how sattva, rajas and tamas, we just told how the creation evolution takes place from the sattva aspect is born our mind, our organs of perception. <clears throat> and so if mind by itself is pure, impurities are agantuka, which means that they are foreign. They are something that are extraneous and not inherent in the mind. <clears throat> this sattva. So when the mind is sattvic, still sattvic mind alone is not enough. We actually require knowledge. But knowledge can take place in the mind that enjoys sattva. However, just because the mind is sattvic does not mean that there is knowledge. There can be ignorance. A very thin layer of ignorance is there. In the third chapter of Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna explained, giving three examples of how the ignorance weighs the nature of the self. Kamaesha, Krodesha, Rajoguna Samudbhava, Mahashana, Mahapapma, Vidhyanam Hivayanam, Dhubena Vriyatevanahi, Yathadarsho Malenasha, Yathodbena Vrto Garbha, Tathate Nedamavatam. How the self is as though covered by the ignorance? If the mind is sattvic, then the cover is very thin, like the smoke covering the fire. Like the smoke covering the fire. All you need is to fan away the smoke and the fire becomes evident. And smoke just covers the light of the fire, not the heat of the fire. But the thin layer of ignorance is there. Yathadar so malenacha, the rajas is like the dust covering the mirror. And when dust covers the mirror, we can we know the mirror is there, but it doesn't serve the purpose. We can, there is no reflection. Yathol garba, the tamas covers the cells like the, the embryo, fetus in a, in a womb, you know. You don't even know that it is there. <clears throat> so that's how these layers of ignorance has become thicker and thicker, sattvic, rajas and tamas. But in sattva also, unless knowledge is there, ignorance, if ignorance is there, there's always going to be identification. So when mind becomes sattvic, there is an identification with that mind. Because still, I do not have the viveka discrimination that I am different from the mind. So I take the mind to be myself. When the mind is sattvic, two things happen. As we said, prakashakam anamayam. As the mind is sattvic, as the mind is transparent, it reveals the knowledge of the self. So there is knowledge as well as there is happiness. Therefore, sukha sangeena badnati jnana sangeena chanagha. Lord Krishna says, even sattva also binds me, sukha sangena, by attachment to happiness. See, that is why whenever my mind is pure, I feel happy. And that is experience of happiness. Even then also I do not have the knowledge that happiness is my nature. If we have the benefit of this teaching, then we know. If the benefit of teaching is there, then whenever I experience happiness, I can remind myself, I am not the experience of happiness, I am happiness. But when the teaching is not there, 
then whenever my mind becomes sattvic, I experience happiness. And what do I call myself? I am a happy person. I am the enjoyer of happiness. And then what? Since I love happiness, never, I want that experience again and again. That's the reason why people enjoy samadhi. There are those in samadhi also, there is an experience because mind is sattvic. Very often questions are asked, Swamiji, what is the difference between deep sleep and samadhi? In the deep sleep, there is a total layer of tamas or darkness. I don't know anything, I am not aware of myself, nor aware of anything. Whereas in samadhi, there is light of sattva, when the mind is sattvic. And therefore, there is an awareness of happiness. And that's the reason why a person wants to go back again and again. Or anything that gives me happiness, I want to go back again and again. If drugs give me happiness, somehow they can make my mind sattvic for whatever reason, I want it again. If some object makes me happy, I want it again. In short, happiness also is addictive. And never sukha sangeena badnati. The sattvic mind also, because it creates for me an experience of happiness. And happiness is something that I like, therefore it causes bondage with the happiness. Not with happiness, but with the means of happiness. I want that mind again and again. I naturally want my mind to be sattvic. And I know that if I listen to the music, then my mind, I'll be happy. So I'm attached to not, sukha means the means of happiness. So those things which give me happiness, I get attached to them. Sukha sangeena badnati. So sattva also binds me with happiness. Creates in me the notion that I'm happy. The self is not happy. Self is happiness, understand? There's a big difference between happiness and happy. Happy, as we said yesterday, has two elements in them. We wrote on the board yesterday, I am a man when I say there are two, I am and man. Man belongs to body and I am is a self. Similarly also when I say I am happy, that I am is a self, happy is a state of mind. So when I declare myself I, as I say I am happy, that means there is a lumping together of what? The Purusha and Prakriti, the self and non-self. So thus, this notion that I am happy is also a notion. The truth is, I am happiness. But in, in because of ignorance, I take myself to be happy whenever mind becomes sattvic. And that's how sattvic mind creates in me the notion, I am happy. And naturally binds me with that. And therefore I become dependent upon anything that creates that sattvic mind. <coughs> Not knowing that I am the source of happiness. Jnana sangena chanagha. As you said, another thing that the sattvic mind, mind being sattvic or pure or transparent, therefore, it also illumines the knowledge. So, there is a happiness of knowledge. That's another thing. See, many people also, sattvic people, we find many people wedded to knowledge. There are many scientists who are totally devoted to the pursuit of knowledge. Not only scientists, many people, including, I mean, many people here, devoted to pursuit of knowledge. Swamiji, we enjoy. Listen to the Bhagavad Gita, listen to Vedanta, I enjoy. Or when we are told certain stories and things like that, we enjoy. Or when we get a new insight, then there is an enjoyment. Let alone, even when it comes to the worldly objects, when I come to know of some new planet, I mean, there is a lot of excitement. When I come to know of the black hole, when I come to know of anything in the world, that, ha- that, that joy of the knowledge, creates in me a joy. 
So we find, you will find that all those people who are pursuing knowledge in their life, not this knowledge, but other knowledge, aparavidya, knowledge of the world, but then also there is a tremendous joy. The scientists, perhaps, would trade for nothing else. You know, they say, Swamiji, you do not know what drama goes on at night in the sky. This fellow keeps awake for the whole night at sky with his huge powerful telescope and he's watching all kinds of dramas. The stars being made and the stars being unmade and all kinds of things that are happening. A lot of excitement. There are other people who keep on watching the subatomic particles and watch that drama. There are others who watch, you know, the people may be watching the cells, people may watch all kinds of things and enjoy the great pleasure in learning. When can learning take place? When the mind is sattvic. So thus we find addiction to knowledge. Even, in, even after coming to study Vedanta, you know on the side we also study other things like Sanskrit. Like Sanskrit grammar is one of the requirements. Many people of course don't care for it. It's called Vyakaranam. Vyakaranam Kyakaranam. That's normally the same, no? So, because this Sanskrit grammar is always, uh, you know, you have to keep on memorizing. Kyakaranam. What to do with this Vyakaranam? What to do with this grammar? Because Sanskrit grammar requires a lot of memorizing. And after a certain age, you are then not disposed to memorize. And you know, memorizing is not something that is exciting, you know, it's boring. And people always want excitement. But so, but anyway, there are some who find a great interest in that Vyakaranam also. But you just go a little depth into the depth of the grammar also. And Sanskrit grammar can be very thrilling as you come to know the mechanism of how the words are made, how the forms are made, and you can make them and you can recognize them and so forth. It's very thrilling. And then you dive deep into that. And that's a whole ocean. People forget Vedanta and they start into, you know, they get, they get, you know, submerged into Vyakran. That happens. Grammar. Sometimes you also study what we call Tarka. Tarka means logic. That also is what you require. So first studying Vedanta, we require all this. If you go to Rishikesh, I say, they won't teach you Vedanta right away. One year, go and study grammar, Sanskrit grammar. Another year, study Nyaya. Third year, study Mimamsa. Here we are lucky that without studying anything that we can study Vedanta. <laughs> That's okay. But there, because all that base is required, you require the base of Nyaya or reasoning. One requires the base of Vyakram or the grammar, the language, and also Mimamsa meaning the rules of analysis of the, the statements of the Vedas. And that, therefore we study them as prerequisites. But sometimes prerequisites become the main topics, you know. The thing is forgotten. Because Mimamsa also is so exciting. Even Nyaya reasoning also becomes so exciting. That I've seen many number of people who really get sidetracked with that. What is that? That is the love, joy of knowledge. See, joy of knowledge of self is one kind of a joy. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the bondage. This is a law of knowledge that is releasing knowledge, understand? But when you start gaining joy of knowledge of such as grammar, such as physics, such as biology, such as whatever, then I get more and more addicted, more and more addicted to that, and I get bound to that. So understand the bondage. Bondage is that which makes me dependent. Bondage is that which creates in me a sense that I cannot do without that. It creates an addiction. So sattva, the sattvic sattva also creates an addiction in me. If I am lucky enough to be exposed to Vedanta, then that's the knowledge 
if you are addicted to that knowledge, fine, there is no problem because that's a releasing knowledge. But other knowledge are those which are addicting knowledge also. Sukha sangena badnati, jnana sangena chanagha, he anagha, O sinless one, Lord Krishna addressing Arjuna. Because Arjuna is very often, Lord Krishna says, The karma phala in terms of the raga, dvesha, attachments, aversions. A sattvic mind is that mind which is free from attachments and aversions, likes and dislikes. Anaga, oh sinless one, this is what the sattva does. And therefore don't stop there. Even sattva also can become an obstacle. In Vedanta, this obstacle is called rasaswada. You know rasaswada? Rasaswada means enjoying the pleasure. And even if you are meditating also, there can be pleasure of meditation. In process of meditation also when my mind becomes quiet or silent or tranquil, there is a joy of silence. And I enjoy the rasa, the pleasure of the silence. Understand that, that silence is a state of mind. And the Vedantic teachers would tell us, they don't stop that, naswadayet rasam tatra. Then when you get the state of mind which is tranquil or, or silent, don't stop there merely because you enjoy that pleasure of silence. Don't stop there because that will deprive you of the pleasure of the self. In that sense, even sattva also binds me. It, because it creates what we call rasaswada, the enjoyment of pleasure. And I have, a, I have a tendency naturally to get attached to the pleasure. Therefore, even sattva also is, a, is that which binds me. Of course, that's a rope which is very thin. It can be broken right away. But this is where teaching is required. So when I'm enjoying that sattvic state, when I'm enjoying that happiness of the self, not happiness of an object, happiness of the self, when I'm enjoying the tranquil or silent state of mind, then the teacher says, tattva masi, then thou art. Look, the silence that you're enjoying, you are not the enjoyer of silence, you are the silence. Look, you are not the enjoyer of the happiness, you are the happiness. That message can become clear to me when? When I am enjoying happiness. While listening to Vedanta for whatever reason, suppose I am sad or I am upset, and then I am told, you are that, that thou art, then what do I say? Oh, the sadness I am. No. All that message given, message given to me that I am happiness doesn't make sense as long as my mind is not happy. To know that I am happiness requires a mind that, that is happy. Not happy because of some reason. That means it requires a mind that enjoys sattva. So no doubt this is what we require. But this is not enough. With the sattvic mind also what is required is teaching. And then I know even sattva also I am not. I am sattva atitaha, as this chapter will explain, I am the one that is witness of sattva. So this sangha prajnaya bhavet, Gaudapadacharya says, naswade drasam tatra, this sangha prajnaya bhavet, tatra in the state of samadhi, in the state of self-absorption, when you are enjoying the rasa of the samadhi, rasa of the silence, rasa of absorption, don't, don't stop that. Nisangha prajnaya bhavet. By your wisdom, by your vivek or discrimination, become detached even to that experience of pleasure and understand that you are not the enjoyer of pleasure, you are not the enjoyer of happiness, you are happiness. 
So this is Sattvam, Tatra Sattvam, Nirmalatvat. Sattra is Nirmalam, is pure, like crystal. And that is what reflects the Self. The Sattva, Sattvic mind is that which reflects the consciousness of the Self. And that reflected consciousness is passed on to other layers of the personality, from the mind to the sense organs and then to the body. But the mind of the Buddhi, which is Sattvic, is the one that first receives the reflection of consciousness, as well. <coughs> Sukha-sangena badnati, jnana-sangena chanaka binds through attachment to happiness and attachment to knowledge. That's why you find people addicted to knowledge. Sattvic people. People who are enjoying sattva, you always find them. They will have nothing to do with pleasure in life. Not only the sannyasis are given the pleasure, all people who are addicted to knowledge are given up all the kind of material pleasure, no time. If a scientist, so these fellows are busy within the laboratory, I don't know, for, for 15 hours a day. He doesn't go to any function, doesn't go to any parties, he lives the life as a renunciate, does he not? What kind of clothes? His wife has to buy some clothes for him. <laughs> and he doesn't even know what food he is eating, really. When he eats the food, then his wife says, oh, how did you like it? Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Only when she eats, then he finds, she finds there was no salt, you know. Because this fellow's mind is not there in pleasure. Sattva, so like the absent-minded professor. Anyway, sattva means an addiction to the knowledge, which is beautiful, it's beautiful, but not enough. One has to even transcend that, one has to even grow out of, transcend grow out of that and understand that I am not the enjoyer of happiness, I am the happiness. <clears throat> okay, I think we will have to stop here and we will continue our discussion tomorrow, I think. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutavande Bhagavanta Punapunaha Ishvara Guru Ratmedi Murti Bheda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadyapta Dehaya Lakshina Murtaye Namaha Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Sri Guru Namaha Hari Om